Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. Uh, we're, we're finishing off a series, and we've been looking at the Book of Lamentations. And it's been kind of a heavy series. We've been looking at these big topics, these big emotions that we feel like anger, uh, anxiety, and stress, uh, shame, and then some positive emotions like joy. And, uh, and as we've been kind of looking through Lamentations, uh, we're, we're ending uh, with the, the emotion of, of grief and sadness. So we had to like launch into the summer with something nice and depressing, um, uh, but I wanted to, to kind of follow the schedule of this. And we, we talked about how Lamentations, uh, it's this prayer, it, it could almost be seen as like this prayer journal um, that, that follows the book of Jeremiah. And what Lamentations entails are going through all of the emotions uh, of life uh, and expressing that to God in a way that God can, can handle all of our emotions. And the context around Lamentations is that the people of God have lost everything. Their home has been destroyed. They've been taken into captivity. And the, the, the response of, of just experiencing life kind of crumble around them uh, is expressed through this book. It's a book of, of prayers, of poetry, of dealing with some of life's most kind of like gut-wrenching experiences and the emotions that come from it. And so today I want to look at Lamentations chapter 5. And there's this uh, visual of moving from dancing to mourning that takes place in Lamentations 5.15. Writing in response to what's happened, they write, Joy is gone from our hearts, and our dancing has turned to mourning. Verse 20 says, Why do you always forget us? Talking of God. Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. And if you've gone through experiences where you've lost everything, if you've gone through experiences where you've, you've had this extreme disappointment, these kind of words resonate. In fact, if you're going through that right now, you might read words like that and you're like, I get it. It's exactly what I've felt. Joy has gone from my heart, and it feels like God's forgot us or forsaken us. There's this desire to be restored talks about how dancing is turned into mourning. You look at mourning, mourning is found throughout scripture. What is it? What is mourning? Mourning could uh, be a formal expression of feelings that have to do with grief and sorrow and deep sadness. Mourning has to do with these feelings. It's this formal way to process grief, sorrow, and sadness. One of the first times I experienced mourning was when I was about 10 years old. And it was the 92-93 NBA basketball season. And I wanted to tell this story for a couple of reasons. One, it's heavy, this topic, and I want to kind of give a lighthearted. Um, but, but also, when I tell this, I know that it's a very shallow example of what some of you uh, have experienced. But so it's, it's, in a way, metaphor. I was a hardcore Michael Jordan fan as a child. And around 1992, 
the Phoenix Suns traded for Charles Barkley. And I remember going to Suns games before I was 10 and thinking, this team is soft. Even at that age, I knew this team was soft. But they get Charles Barkley. And my dad tells me, you have to become a Suns fan now. They're going to be the best team in the NBA. And I didn't want to. But over the course of watching the Suns that year, I just fell in love with that team. Kevin Johnson, Thunder Dan Marley, who's my wife's favorite player of all time. Uh, that was a good team. And we get to the finals. And lo and behold, we face Michael Jordan, my former favorite player. And I was reminded of why I was a Michael Jordan fan, right? We watched him torch the Suns, destroy the Suns, rip their hearts out. I remember after game six, when John Paxson hit a three-pointer to win the game, we had a tetherball in my backyard. And I remember, like, I was so upset that I was, like, crying, and I didn't want my mom to see it. So I went to the backyard, and I just remember hitting the tetherball and taking out all sorts of raw emotion Hitting it, hitting it, feeling like I was angry, I was sad, I was mad at Michael Jordan, I was mad that I rooted for the Suns when I used to like Michael Jordan. I'm going through all these different experiences. I remember just being 10 years old thinking, like, I've never felt this before. My mom came out to see if I was okay, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'm fine. <laughs> but having this kind of gut-riching, emo like, the emotions of going through something disappointing. And uh, it's affected my life, I'm not going to lie. Uh, Went all in with the Suns at the age of 10. Uh, so when the Suns lost uh, some terrible series to the San Antonio Spurs uh, in like the mid-2000s, late 2000s, uh, probably um, the fanatic, fanatic uh, lack of perspective uh, came out of me, and I was much more emotional. I think Marcy was terrified of how angry I'd get screaming at the, you know, the, the TV, watching the Suns uh, get hosed by the refs. Uh, and and it, it was just something that was inside of me that, like, early on in my life, it was like, I was so disappointed and hurt, and I've, like, carried that as a Suns fan. Now, that's ridiculous, right? It's, it's, we're talking about, like, the Phoenix Suns and being a fan. Um, but every time something bad happens to the Suns, I can't process it, man. I just get, like, I get so upset because I've never dealt with this experience of grief. And I know it's kind of like super shallow. But at the same time, I think that we go through experiences in life where we're hurt, where we're disappointed, where we feel duped, where things fall apart. And we, we take in the emotion of the sadness. And what do we do with it? It has to be processed in a way that's healthy. When it comes to our disappointments, mourning, grief, sorrow, there's certain things that cause it and trigger it. Some things are worse than others. And as I talk about my love for the Phoenix Suns, I'm in no way uh, comparing that to some of the joy that other, and, and sorrow and joy that I've experienced in other things in my life. Nor would I say that it's anything compared to what you've experienced. But what causes sorrow, I think from what I've experienced reading through Scripture and in my own life, are four kind of like catalysts. And the first is loss. Experiencing loss it has a way of just kind of catalyzing our sorrow. Right? Phoenix Suns losing. Something deeper than that, though. Loss of relationships. Probably the most common is the loss of life. We experience loss. And it stirs something deep inside of us 
a grief, a sorrow, a sadness. In Lamentations, they've lost their home. They've lost their home country. It's been destroyed. They're going through that. Um, Marcy and I have been blessed with four children. I feel like we keep having more children. I think we're done, unless something miraculous happens. And we've been very blessed uh, with four children. Um, we had our family photos taken a couple of months ago. And one of the things that Marcy wanted to do uh, was uh, a photo of our whole family. And with us having four children, we've also had, in that time, three miscarriages. And miscarriages were something that, uh, for me, uh, you know, I didn't really know a lot about as a guy. And then when it happens and you experience it, um, you, it it's, it's painful. And me trying to understand what Marcy goes through as we've gone through the miscarriages. And so we would say that we, we have four children, but we have three others that we were pregnant, were excited about, and then into the uh, pregnancy lost. Um, there's this feeling of loss that brings up grief, emotions, sorrow. Um, so we had this picture taken, and Marcy calls these our angel babies. Um, but we have this sense of, like, you have a hope for something, a life, and it doesn't work out. That's a little bit different than Phoenix Suns, right? That's, there's something deeper there. There's, there's a sorrow that comes from the loss of life. Uh, it seems like there's been a, a lot of death even in our community recently. We've had a couple of families who've lost loved ones, some of them very suddenly. Some of them have watched people deteriorate slowly. And you have these emotions of grief and sorrow, deep sadness that comes from loss, from losing something special, especially when it's a person. There's a passage in the New Testament and the Gospel accounts of when Jesus loses someone close to him. Famously in John chapter 11, there's a man named Lazarus who has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus gets sick. They call for Jesus knowing that he can heal, calling him to come and help save Lazarus from death. Jesus gets there too late and Lazarus dies. Now, if you know the story, you know how that ends, but there's a very famous Bible verse that comes from this story. When Jesus sees what happens, Jesus wept. Remember, Jesus wept is like the first Bible verse that I memorized, you know, like in vacation Bible school because you get like a sticker or a prize when you memorize scripture. Jesus wept. Jesus experiences loss and he experiences the sorrow that comes from losing someone. It should tell us something that Jesus, who is God, experiences grief. Grief's a natural thing. Sorrow, mourning, those are natural emotions. The second thing that is a catalyst to mourning is longing. When you long for something. Because longing for something that doesn't come to fruition is a sense of loss, isn't it? When you long for something that you have this desire, this dream, you're praying about it, you're hoping for it, and it doesn't happen. There's this sense of loss. Uh, go back to the Suns. They're a terrible team right now. This last season, they tanked so that they could get the number one pick of the lottery. About a month ago, a few weeks ago, we all know that their rival, the Los Angeles Lakers, got a better pick than them. 
I was extremely frustrated. All of this grief comes out, and it's like, as a Suns fan, I'm going nuts. The Suns community was going nuts. We had this longing, this hope that we were going to get the top pick. We don't get it. And what happens is it's not just like this isolated event in Suns history. If you're a Suns fan, you know this is like, this, is, this just happens to the Suns. We have all these hopes that something great's going to happen, and of course it doesn't because the NBA is against us, right? It's all a conspiracy. Um, and I have, a, I have a friend who uh, has a, a young son who's a Suns fan, and when he found out the Suns weren't going to get the number one pick, uh, I think I have a photo of him. Yes, this is his face. His name's Oliver. He's nine. Um, and I was like, I saw that, and I was like, that's what my soul feels like right now. There's this longing, and the sons don't get it. And it's like all of the history of the sons starts coming back up. So like anything that's bad that happens triggers this sense of longing that causes grief. And again, the sons are shallow. That's a shallow example. But we have these things in our life that we long for. And even when they don't work out, it's like, well, of course not. We lose hope. We start to experience like what feels like a loss when that longing doesn't come to fruition. During our, our Lent readings this year, we were reading through the Gospel of Luke, and I came across this passage. And I've read it again and again, and it's never really meant anything. But for some reason, as I was reading it this time, um, it, it struck me differently. And it's the story, it, it's in the Christmas story, and it's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as the story goes, Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, they're related to Mary. Um, they end up being the parents of John the Baptist. But it, it kind of goes into their backstory. And I'll just read it. It says, Luke chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Zechariah and Elizabeth were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren. And I kept reading, I couldn't get past that verse, this they're observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Yet they have this longing that's not coming to fruition. They're blameless and yet barren. And I started to think about how, how true that is with so many of us. We have these longings. We feel like we're doing everything right. We're blameless. And yet there's this barrenness. There's this hope and desire that doesn't come to fruition. And there's this, it creates inside of us this emotional response that feels like loss. I've been desiring this thing for a long time. God, where are you? Why aren't you hearing me cry out to you? What have I done wrong to deserve this? Why don't I get something better than what this circumstance is? Longing is a sense of loss. If you be blameless, and yet barren. We have these hopes, these desires to have, that, that life would go a certain way. And when it doesn't, there's this grieving process that we feel deep within our soul. The third thing that's a catalyst for mourning, I think, is regret. Is regret. This is an interesting one. Um, there's like, you know, regret of doing something silly when you're younger that you immediately regret that decision. There's like buyer's remorse regret. But then I've learned as I get older that regret is something that's more difficult to handle. It almost like grows with age as you kind of like look back at your life 
and you consider uh, your journey. And I think like the first thing that we, we think of as, as followers of Jesus is like, I don't want to live a life of regret. I just want to you know, allow God to make all things new. But all of these emotions, they're, they're healthy in the right context, and they're unhealthy in the wrong context. But regret, regret can be defined as uh, a distress of mind or a painful memory over something that happened in the past. It often reflects the contemplation of a circumstance that lies beyond the possibility of repair. On the other hand, the somber term can signify a situation that is not beyond the scope of correction. It may simply suggest, as yet, the grievance is not remedied. And then there's the American Quaker poet, John Greenleaf Whittier, who expressed the concept of regret poetically. He said, of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are it might have been. Right? Regret is the what if that we deal with in life. What if I just took this job? What if I went with this person instead? What if we moved here? And it doesn't get easier as we get older, is what I'm learning. That we, we deal with the what if all the time. To the point that it just eats us up inside. The what if. What could have been. It's a very powerful emotion. Regret is this sense of loss. Again. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul, I feel like, deals a lot with regret in his life. And it's interesting because, you know, Paul's so important. I mean, so many of our, our New Testament scriptures come from Paul. This brilliant thinker, this guy that's completely sold out for God, going around starting churches, writing letters to churches, discipling new leaders. And yet, there's this remorse that you find in his writings. There's, he'll make statements that say, like, I'm the chief of all sinners. It's a pretty powerful statement. Why would he say that? And then you start to understand Paul's life and what happens before uh, he surrenders his, his heart to Christ. And you find out that, that Paul, Paul's a murderer. Paul's, he's a pretty evil dude. There's a story in Acts about this man named Stephen uh, who gets martyred. And, and Paul's there. And he, he's there watching Stephen get stoned for his faith. And he's almost like hosting the event. This is a guy with a dark past. This is a guy who has this moment of conversion where he surrenders his life to Christ. And we find that he's made new and he moves forward and he's able to, to have this brand new calling and identity within who Jesus has called him to be. But it doesn't seem like he ever loses touch with what he's capable of. He moves on, he strives ahead, he looks forward. But there's this sense of reality with his own brokenness where he says, I... I know what I'm capable of. I know what I can do. That is part of my story. And it's okay to regret those things. But he presses on. He strives on. Regret is a sense of loss that needs to be dealt with in a healthy way. We don't just simply dwell upon the past. We move forward. But we're reminded of what we are capable of. We're in touch with our brokenness. The fourth thing the catalyst, catalyst to mourning is change. Change. A lot of us don't like change. Change is also a sense of loss. Some people handle change really well. Some people, change is the scariest thing in the world to them. And that's okay. 
But change is the sense of loss that has to be dealt with. Uh, I remember when my wife and I moved to Texas a couple of years, well, it's been like seven years now. Um, we went there, and one of the things that we talk about when we moved there is like, we just completely underestimated the culture in Texas. Like, you know, we're Phoenix kids, we're for the most part from the West Coast, and it was almost like going to another country, even though they spoke the same language. So we're like, we just underestimated the culture. And it was challenging. It's challenging to move cross country. But looking back on it, I think another thing that we just didn't process is like, when you move across country and you start a whole season of life, you're ending and closing a season. There's change that comes. And that change, you, you need to grieve in a healthy way to say goodbye to the past. And that's so hard to do. And so what happens is we constantly are looking back. We're missing this season of life where everything was great. We remember it probably better than it was. And instead of being able to like move forward with life, we constantly want to hold on to the season that is now ended. Change is a sense of loss. We experience that with graduation right now. As we graduate and move from one chapter of life to the next, the season of life changes. Uh, for Marcy and I, parenting uh, four kids, it's interesting. Like we, you know, we, we thought that we were out of the diaper phase, and we were celebrating that change. And then we go back into the diaper phase as we have a new kid. We now have four children between the ages of one and nine. They're in very different stages of life. Each stage is unique and special. And then we move on, and you look back at pictures. And there's a sense of loss because of change. It has to be grieved. It has to be mourned well. Change is this catalyst that causes us to have these emotions that feel like grief and deep sadness. As we consider this emotion of mourning, sadness, we have to consider these things that bring it about in our life. My guess is that everyone here is experiencing it in some way. All of us carry about some sort of heaviness that comes, things that we're grieving or need to be grieved. So what do we do about it? What do we do with it? How do we handle our grief? Going back to the story of Lazarus, the death of Lazarus and Jesus, you have these two sisters, Martha and Mary, that handle the bad news about their brother dying differently. Uh, Martha comes, and she's very accusatory. I mean, you would, you would think that. Like, she, she knows Jesus can come. She knows Jesus can, can come and heal and save her brother, and he shows up late. She's upset. It's very natural to be upset at Jesus. You know that he could have intervened, and he doesn't. And they have a conversation. Jesus is able to process it with her. Then you have Mary, who's just heartbroken in her grief. She doesn't accuse Jesus of anything. She's just heartbroken. She comes and she falls at his feet. And there's this interesting dialogue that takes place between Jesus and the sisters. After Lazarus dies in John 11:33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, I think that's important. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her, also weeping, it says he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. It says that Jesus sees them in their mourning. He has eyes to see. 
Our upper elementary is going through the names of God. They're talking about all these different characteristics of God, how we describe God and how he interacts in this world. One of the names for God is the God who sees us. God is engaged with the world that we're living in. He's the God who sees us in the midst of the things that cause deep sadness. For Mary and Martha, Jesus sees them. And it says that he's moved to an emotion that leads to a response. And it's interesting to think of God that way. God, Jesus is this expression of God, the Son of God. Jesus is God. And he has this human emotion where it says that he's grieved. He's deeply saddened by what's happened. What does that tell us about God and our circumstances? As we come to him with our grief, as we come to him in mourning, he sees us. He's moved. He responds. I think there's two things that the people of God have done uh, for a long time throughout history to help with the, the heaviness that comes with grief. The first is there's this ancient practice called sitting Shiva. Sitting Shiva is a, a practice that the Jewish people have done for a long time. And it's almost like, it's not necessarily compartmentalizing grief, but it's setting aside time to grieve in a way that's healthy. To grieve in a way that allows you to feel the whole emotion of what's happened and to heal from it and to move on. And part of this practice is this understanding that if I don't deal with this, it's going to continue to fester over time. And it doesn't mean that I'm just completely made whole after I deal with it. But it's processed in a healthy way. That way, 15 years later, you're still not yelling at the refs when the sun's loose, right? And they, the sitting, sitting Shiva, they, they, they come and, and they just they sit. It's a, Shiva means seven, seven days. Seven, it means seven. They sit for seven days and they take in the grief. And the friends of the person grieving come and sit with them. And they don't do anything. In fact, the rules of sitting Shiva, they're not allowed to say anything unless the person mourning talks. If that person initiates conversation, then you can talk. But you don't try to come up with answers for him, for the person grieving. You don't come up with, you don't try to solve anything. And that's hard to do. We always want to just solve or, or, or give a reason of why it happened. But there's this understanding that they don't need answers. They just need someone to be with them in that moment. And there's uh, something there for us, I think. One, to recognize that we need a season in our life where we're able to say goodbye to the things that feel like a sense of loss. But also to mourn with those who mourn. To come alongside those who mourn and just be with them. Just be good friends. Be family. Be a faithful presence to them. Without having to solve anything. I think there's something there. The second thing God's people do, and this is what we've been talking about this whole series, is the practice of lamenting. All of these emotions that we've talked about, to lament them to God, to take them to God in prayer. Sometimes we think of prayer, prayer as, you know, us just uh, spending time with God, it's that, yes. Sometimes prayer is making requests of God, yes, absolutely, that too. But part of prayer is also coming to God with our darkest emotions, and pouring it out to him. Sometimes it's a vent. 
whatever that looks like, whatever you need to do. We're invited to come to God through prayer. And I love this idea of lament that we read the first week. A lament helps emotions move through us like a wave, reaching its peak, then washing over us and eventually dissipating. Let me read that again. The lament helps emotions move through us like a wave, reaching its peak, and then washing over us and eventually dissipating. I wonder how often in our prayer life we consider that, to come to God in prayer. The psalm of lament, Psalm 34, 17, says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe today uh, you're dealing with loss. You're dealing with longing. You're dealing with regret. You're dealing with change. And there's a certain weight about the emotions that come from that. Maybe it's something that has happened a long time ago in your life and it still lingers. You still carry it. It still eats you up inside. The band's going to come back up and I want to spend some time just uh, a moment reflecting on this. If you're like me, you probably have some of these emotions. And I think the proper thing to do is to take them to God. The proper thing to do is to get them out. Earlier this year, Luke Shuline gave me a journal. It's a prayer journal, and it has the sun's logo on it, so I love it. It's a moleskin. Every night, I write into that journal. I used to do that all the time when I was younger. Didn't do it for like 10 years. Yet I found great healing and connection with God from being able to lament and write out my prayers. We don't spend a lot of time in prayer, but I wanted to today, as the man comes back up, we're not going to close with communion, um, we're going to close with reflection. And uh, my hope is that uh, you would allow this, this psalm of lament to speak to you today. And so as you consider the things that have caused grief in your life, um, I want to invite you to just close your eyes, to bow your head. And I'd like to pray for you. This comes from Psalm 30. In the promise of God, when we limit to him, when we think that our dancing's been turned to mourning, there seems to be a reversal here in this psalm. Let me pray. It says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called for your help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. When you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. 
You turn my mourning into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for seeing us, for being engaged with our emotions, for being moved to action. Lord, today as we consider what causes grief? Dealing with loss, dealing with longings, dealing with regret, dealing with change. We give it to you right now, Lord. We ask for the peace that passes understanding to guard our hearts. We ask for your spirit, Lord. In your son's name we pray.